everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Seamless Connection podcast. I am thrilled today to have with me Brad Busick, who is Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at MultiCare. Brad, I'd love to have you introduce yourself to the audience for those who might not know you yet. Yeah, thanks so much, Mina. Good to be with you. Thanks for uh, having me on today. Uh, my name is uh, Brad, and I'm uh, the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer uh, at MultiCare. Um, we're located up in the Pacific uh, Northwest, 12 hospital uh, system, uh, roughly 22,000 plus uh, employees and um, are committed to um, improving the quality of care for our uh, community. Uh, I've been here for almost four years and um, we continue to, to learn and push and innovate so we can make um, healthcare more accessible for our community, um, but also easier to deal with. Fantastic. And I know um, one of the things I always love to start with with our guests is what brought you to healthcare, right? What's, what's your origin story, if you will, in terms of was it something that happened to you or your family on a personal level? Was it an intellectual curiosity about a certain aspect that might or might not have directly brought you to healthcare or in a tangled route, as you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love the word um, just origin because actually that's how this uh, really started for me, Mina. I um, was actually called by one of my former um, roommates in undergrad who uh, now serves as one of our chief medical um, officers for our retail line. And um, I live here in Tacoma. I'm in the community. And he uh, he called and said, hey, would you be interested in a role at MultiCare? And I had spent uh, time in the philanthropic uh, space and um, worked uh, at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And so was familiar um, with regards to jobs that had impact which is really important to me. And so when um, when he reached out, I uh, jumped at the opportunity and I found that uh, this was an opportunity that was um, ripe for innovation and, and partnership uh, because uh, IT had for many years just been a, a place you went to get your computer fixed. It wasn't thought of as um, a thought partner or um, a thought leader and the bar was really, really low. And so, um, Almost four years later, we're, we're still continuing to uh, dig out, but um, not only is the partnership very different, but um, I think the, the day that I started uh, in healthcare happened to be the first day of this thing that's now called COVID. Um, so March 16th, 2020, and I got pulled out of new employee orientation and they said, hey, we'd love your help in this thing called the command center. And I didn't know what that was. Um, the gift in that for us, Mina, was that it cut through all of the normal rounding, um, all of the normal onboarding that takes months to get up to speed. And this was just a straight baptism of, hey, uh, I want to hear, I'm here to help. What do you need? And at that time, we were asked to innovate at a rate that nobody's really ever innovated with everything from telehealth to um, infrastructure and, and things were moving at a really rapid pace. And so uh, anyway, it's it's been a really uh wild time to be in healthcare, as you know, and I look back on the time and I'm grateful for the experience. Um, it was heavy, um, but I've learned a lot in the last uh, three and a half, four years. No, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, the talk about trial by fire, kind of getting thrown in on the healthcare front. So it, as you've come into MultiCare, and I know you worked at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation before, and you were exposed to a lot of healthcare initiatives, but would you say MultiCare is your kind of first true exposure to how a health system thinks about healthcare and technology versus yeah. being in the weeds before? Yeah, I've actually you know tangentially been around the, the fringes here of healthcare, right? So certainly on the philanthropic side, and it's it's different when you're trying to give away you know $5 billion of money um, at the Gates Foundation 
and quantifying impact in, in sometimes areas that are your own geography. I mean, there's a strategy that gets foundation for Pacific Northwest. Um, but I also have the benefit of being on the insurance side of the house um, as a payer and putting in uh, medical bill review uh, engines. And I'm trying to automate that space, which is more antiquated, by the way, than healthcare. This is the first time within you know a healthcare system proper. And so being able to draw from those experiences as, as a, a patient first, um, as someone that lives here in the community, right? So this organization is in Tacoma, it's headquartered in Tacoma. Uh, and so I have a vested interest there, obviously. Um, but also being able to apply, you know, technical acumen yeah. that I think transcends any industry. I don't care if it's retail, aerospace, et cetera. Um, ultimately, to me, this boils down to people and um, trying to make sure that we're all working at the top of license. And for me, that's that's been um, a big a big lift here at Multicare. And that's something that that really resonates with me coming from a background of finance and tech coming into healthcare and having that actually that other viewpoint, that other window into how can things operate versus how do things operate and kind of figuring out there's best practices on both sides, which might or might not apply. But just knowing that there's different ways to do it that could potentially solve that that problem. When you first came in, what were you most surprised by? I think a few things caught me off guard. Um, One. Uh, I remember someone distinctly said to me um, as I was meeting with staff for the first time, uh, this is healthcare. We're never going to use cloud services. If, if I can't physically touch the server, uh, then, then it's, it's a non-starter here. And I said, um, well, I, respectfully, we are going to use the cloud. Uh, and, um, and he, he shot back and said, um, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And I said, awesome, March 18th, 2021, at eight o'clock in the morning, you're gonna have an appointment with me on the calendar. And sure enough, a year later we did, and we walked through our Azure strategy as we had migrated um, a ton of stuff to Azure and set up a, um, an instance where we could actually now use that for capabilities that Multicare never had before. It, it's not that it's wrong, it's just that the thinking is different. Uh, they've never had anyone to help unlock the potential and the thinking and the capabilities of what could be. Uh, and so some of these things were really low hanging fruit, right? How do we increase the transparency of what IT is working on? Do my customers know what they're paying for? Like legitimately, they, do they know how much Epic costs? Do they know how much Microsoft costs? And then more importantly, like how do we show up with a, a yes and attitude? which has been um, really, really awesome. And it's resulted in some incredible things that IT has enabled, ranging from you know, autonomous robots uh, and drone delivery, all the way to you know, just telehealth, right? Which I think everyone in the world took for granted you know, before COVID and now suddenly you know, it's, table, it's a commodity. Yeah, no, exactly. And then telehealth, uh, we'll get back to that in a second, but a lot of people see telehealth as just a video connection. But if you do it right, you, it can be so much more. Completely agree. Integrated virtual care solution completely. But one thing I want to dive deeper on for what you just said, which is um, the potential it can unlock. And there's a lot of people that are probably coming from a background of someone like that person you referred to where they don't know what that potential is. Can you kind of walk us through a few key examples of whether you realize it already or you're working to realize it? What what do you see as a potential that can be unlocked that maybe isn't a um isn't something that's obvious to someone that doesn't come from a tech or information background? Yeah, I mean, I'll give some some real examples of I think untapped uh, potential. Um, 
one, I think for IT to earn the right to be heard, IT has got to be present, right? So are we actively rounding with staff? Are we trying to meet them where they are and understanding their, their pain points? Uh, and so, you know, for me to be able to go spend a couple days in our children's hospital, uh, rounding with Dr. Haferbecker and understanding when he walks by a machine uh, to go, you know, to one room to another patient room, and he happens to hit a console that's in the hallway, and he taps into it, and it makes him log in with his credentials, but he can't Google anything because it's locked down, and he wants to pull up images and and you know show his residents that are following him samples of whatever it is that he's seen. It could be a patient uh, rash or, or an ailment, and it's blocked. IT would never even know that. Why? Because the provider would just go next. I don't have time to go and. And so I saw that and it's a really silly example. And yet there's all these little pebbles and shoes that exist that we don't know about. And so when that story um, happened and we were actually able to say, look, I wanna save you clicks. My entire job is to save you time. And that started to manifest itself uh, in a lot of different ways, whether it was using um, transcription and getting rid of, um, you know, just dictation, right? I mean, we were spending millions of dollars and uh, folks following our providers around, um, you know, through, uh, you know, transcription services, we could automate that. And we have um, all the way to why are we spending time for our nurses walking back and forth between pharmacy into the lab when I can have a robot go and do that? And what other pain points do you have? Oh, you want to move teleboxes? Sweet. We can do that too. If IT is not asking those questions, the community is not likely to come forward with those solutions. And so truly being a thought partner and unlocking that potential, I think is the first part. The second part for that though, for us mean is, is not only unlocking it, it's telling people that we unlocked it because we're a 12 hospital system. We're not huge, but we are diverse. And so if a system over in Spokane hears about what we did at Deaconess, and then someone else over at Tacoma General says, oh, wow, I didn't know we, hey, can we do, suddenly now we start getting economies of scale. And what's more important is our providers are more efficient. We're reducing tension and friction. And it's a more enjoyable place to take care of patients. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. So here's a question for you, because I 100% agree that you got to claim that credit when credit's due. Yep. Because no, no one knows it's happening and they don't know best practices. Um, one of the things though, that you're probably fighting against the same way we do, which is just information overload, yeah. you know, people stop reading emails, people stop reading yeah. newsletters, people start. So how have you found it effective to communicate best practice and say, I did do this thing at Deaconess that could really work for you at Tacoma General? Yeah, that's a great call. So we, we leverage all of those um, forums. We rolled out a new intranet, um, end of last year, uh, that is not a healthcare intranet and much of what I'm trying to push are very um, for-profit platforms that have application in healthcare, whether that's our access center platform, um, our utilization of cloud services, or um, even you know the way that we communicate. So we're rolling out a brand new series called Make Me Care. Oh. So what is that? Well, make me care about Microsoft Teams. Make me care about um, autonomous robots. Uh, make cool. me care about um, how to keep my family safe at home from phishing. How do I lock down my network? Uh, make me care is a little provocative and yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Uh, 
And when we do these info sessions, we'll get six, 700 people from- Oh, are these live? Like live? Oh, it's live. It's 100% oh. live. Yeah. Okay. And these Make Me Care sessions, we record them and transcribe them for other people's. And our, our reading has been awesome. Um, just post meeting of folks that are, you know, maybe they're out working and they want to watch it later. Uh, oh. But again, it's one of those things where we have the opportunity to engage virtually. Yeah. Uh, and that's been really, really well, uh, well received. And so um, the other piece that we've done that's been intentional about those um, highlighting those wins, but also the capabilities that exist that maybe didn't exist before is we've put embedded clinical uh, informaticists in each of the hospitals that function as channels of IT. Um, we also have business relationship managers that are assigned to a specific uh, hospital. Those BRMs and those clinical informaticists are also the eyes and ears on the ground in partnership to say, hey, did, did you know you could actually go customize your own order sets? Or did you, you could set your own personalization in Epic? Have you thought about that? And you'd be shocked at the wins. And this is what buys the goodwill because it's a, it's very much a show me, don't tell me. Yeah. And um, that's where we've, that's where we've succeeded. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I love the, the title of that though. Exactly. The provocativeness of that title, yeah. like my attention to, and I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, switching topics a little bit, going into telehealth, like you said, yeah. a topic dear to my heart. Um, obviously, like you said, you started at, at the beginning of this pandemic, you were thrown into it kind of feet first. How, where was the state of multi-carous telehealth inpatient and outpatient if, if the situation existed in both? Absolutely. Um, where have you been able to bring it today? Because I know for a lot of systems, similar size room resources, you guys, it's, it, it was an afterthought. It was urgent care. It was, you yep. know, primary care. It wasn't a way to be a different care delivery mechanism. Like I said earlier, it was, it's a video connection, whereas it can be so much more. It can drive so many clinical impacts. It can drive so many financial impacts. How, how was it thought of before? And if there's been a change, how is it handled and thought of today? Yeah, so I, I think it's yes to all of the um, above. And in some cases, uh, this was a really awesome opportunity. Um, I, I have the, the fortune of partnering with um, a gentleman named uh, Chad Gaberlein, who um, is uh, a nurse, but also has a passion for this space. And when I first came on to um, multi-care, part of what we were trying to do at that time was what everyone in the world was dealing with, which is how do we see patients um, and how do we uh, have something that's elegant and just works? And no one had that solution at that time. Multicare most certainly didn't have that solution. And as a matter of fact, our, at that point, uh, telehealth uh, numbers were you know sub a thousand across the system. I mean, nobody was really embracing it. And, um, and then COVID hit, I started, and I'll never forget, I uh, was in the command center, I was leaving one night, um, it was my second night here at Multicare, and a nurse stopped me in the elevator, and she was crying, she said, hey, are you the IT guy? And I said, yeah, I, I am, I'm one of them. And um, she said, I need your help. She said, I work over at Tacoma General. We have um, families that are not able to say goodbye to their loved ones because we've locked down all of our floors. Can you help us with something? She goes, I literally have nurses that are using their personal FaceTime so that their family can say goodbye. And this just hit me at like the core. And so that weekend, um, I found a solution that was HIPAA compliant. Uh, 
I broke every governance and policy rule at Multicare, um, but, but made sure it was safe clinically and found a solution that we would be able to go use for palliative care. And um, I came back the following Tuesday. I was presenting it to uh, the nurses at Tacoma General. And I got to my second slide and you know, I'm up there in my you know suit and ready to rock. And she just raised her hand. She's like, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm sure this is a really pretty presentation, but um, does it work? I said, yeah, it works. She goes, suit them up. And so presentation ended. I put on a bunny suit and I walked up into the the COVID ward we had set up at Tacoma General. And in the in that room, a 34-year-old woman uh, was in bed, innovated. And this nurse said, all right, hotshot, show me how it works. And we pulled up Epic and I grabbed the next of kin number and I put it in the device and dialed. And this individual got sent a text message, clicked on it, enabled access to his microphone, his camera, and was immediately connected to his sister. Um, and I watched him say goodbye to, uh, to her. Um, that moment rewired me. And I realized at this point, I don't think healthcare proper has truly understood how to harness the capabilities of virtual. It's way more than, than telehealth. And that moment, um, fortunate for me, was um, I think the beginning of my journey of how do we think about these capabilities from everything from remote patient monitoring and virtual sitters to you know urgent care application and you know our pediatric neurobehavioral. I, there, there's so much application. How do you do it in a thoughtful way that doesn't force our clinical community to have to go to 10 different systems for 10 different use cases balanced with an elegant solution for our patients. And that's been the work that we've been uh, doing. And so in some cases, rationalizing our portfolio because we had too many solutions, the pendulum swung and we had people putting things on their P card, but also how do we start to leverage platforms as opposed to point solutions? And that's the work that we've been, um, you know, really, really being being thoughtful about, and now expanding to things like, you know, telestroke and expanding our teleneurology uh, capabilities, and really making it easy for both of those parties that I've mentioned. And so we're still young uh, in that journey, but um, the the issue we're solving for is real, and I, I don't think we're alone in in that journey. No, definitely not. And then, and that I'm curious if you see this with your providers. Um, obviously, it, it, that was a very moving um, case, you know, use case for telemedicine, but there's also on the flip side for providers who were burned out or like that nurse, right? I'm talking about nurses. I'm talking about all yeah. the frontline responders, physicians, where they were dealing with that on the emotional side, but also with all the pressures of the point solutions or the aggravations of the multiple logins and, and all of that. Um, and one of the things we've seen is the more streamlined you make it for providers, the more willing they are to do and the more efficient you make it, they can just, they can see as many patients, right? Or yeah. they can see, be as impactful virtually as in person. Has physician retention or provider retention more broadly been an issue at Multicare? And what is the role of virtual care to help with that? Yeah, it's actually one, one of the core parts of our um, strategy for retention. Uh, so um, I'll give you two specific uh, use cases. Uh, if I would have said to you three years ago, and let's pretend that um, I was a nurse, um, Brad, you don't have to go walk 25,000 steps uh, every day. Why don't you, um, because you're want a different phase of your life or maybe a different stage, why don't you go meet patients virtually and you can care for them and we'll have someone in the room to assist the patient, but you can be at home. And 
you have access to Epic from home and we can let you take care of patients there. That sounds like some Star Trek like stuff. And and yet, and it's more than three years ago. I mean, we're talking almost four years ago at this point in March. Fast forward today, uh, that this is table stakes. So we're we're actually doing this now and um, rolling this out across all of, of multicare, leveraging virtual nurses. Uh, to who could be at different stages of their um, career uh, or are just straight virtual. And they could literally be anywhere equipping the rooms with high-tech equipment that can zoom in and give the normal care that you would get if you were using, uh, you know, equipment in the room, but also meeting patients where they are. And the response we've gotten from the clinical community has been fantastic at Multicare. The response from the patient community has been incredibly positive, more so than I even thought. The question that they ask is like, well, why do I even have to come to the hospital at all? It's not the wrong question. And it really begs, uh, I think, a different way of thinking of um, if we start moving towards hospital at home or clinics without walls, and I can get you equipment that would allow me to listen to your heart or look into your ears or nose or eyes remotely in a in an Uber-like experience, right? Or an Amazon Prime-like experience where I knew your appointments in 30 minutes and I just have that delivered to your house via drone. Uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, and that's that's absolutely the direction that multi-care is going and we're not apologetic about it or shy about it. It's gonna be, it's gonna be disruptive. And um, that's one of the reasons that they brought me here. No, that's huge because you're probably a lot of what you are, are saying and, and speaking is, is completely you know up my alley and I, and I love it. But the level you're going to, especially this, this last part is, is I have not heard anyone say that before. So Cause no one's doing it yet. And this is the really cool part. And so if you zoom out, like my geography, right? Like if I drive down the, the street, I've got my friends at Costco and Starbucks and Amazon and Microsoft and the Gates foundation these are some of the most innovative companies in the in the world. Um, it's a little bit wild to say out loud that Multicare will be the first healthcare system on the West Coast to go live with drone delivery. And so we literally had a board member that said, "Wait a second. So I'm I'm going to look up in the sky and see a drone delivering samples to our lab. Yeah. yeah, delivering a stethoscope to your house. And without even blinking, I said, "Yeah, because that's." it's also going to become a commodity in the exact same way, Mina, that 10 years ago, if you would have said to me, wait a second, so I can get on an app and have a car come pick me up. That isn't my own car yeah. or even better. I think you may have seen this. Uh, Uber just rolled out uh, Uber for teens. Oh, serious? so you, nope, can, you throw your, it. it's brilliant. So <laughs> kids 13 to 17, yep. they, anyone that owns an Uber app got a note that said, Hey, we now have, um, extra um, parameters and security capabilities around teen drivers and, and vetted drivers for your teen. Uh, add them to your credit card and um, we turn on location services and it'll drive your, you can call an Uber for your kid for practice or whatever. Well, the cross sell in it isn't that they want to take my kid somewhere. The cross sell is they want to sell them Uber Eats because within three weeks, because that's really their primary demographic. Yeah. So, Uber is going to be doing this. Amazon is going to be delivering via drones. UPS is going to be, it's, it will be a commodity. Yeah. Why not healthcare? Yeah. Why not us? 
So I have to, I know we're coming up on time, but I do want to make sure I ask the elephant in the room question. Yeah. So all of this is amazing, but it also takes money. It and does. I know that it's one of the most sensitive areas for healthcare yeah. and I know operational budgets have been beyond squeeze the last few years, if not always. Um, how do you make something like this work? Where do you find the funds? And it may be more important than the funds. Where do you find the backing and the wherewithal to push it through when there are so many competing resources, staffing cuts and issues with that, it probably, you know, first and foremost, if, if nothing else, right? Yeah, you bet. So the strategy that we had in, you know, 2020 is a very different strategy than we have uh, today. Uh, the beautiful irony of this is that I'm actually doing this with about a 28% lower budget than I had in 2020. Um, and you have to ask yourself the question, how? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the economy is a scale that we get through automation uh, and through platforms versus point solutions. I don't necessarily need 10 people to go run 10 point solutions. I might need three people to run one platform. And, and that's a very different way of thinking about it. Now, I will say that by and large, healthcare hasn't adopted that thinking. As I talk to a lot of our my colleagues around the country, there's still an inclination in healthcare just to say, look, I need bodies for that. So let's take a use case like the access center. Um, do we need a thousand people answering phones? Or do I just need an IVR, a really smart chat bot and a really elegant solution that you and I want when we call to book an airline reservation? Why not healthcare? And so we're, we've been putting those platforms in place over the last three years and that's allowing us to do what we're doing. That's huge. I mean, if you can get rid of your DAC, I mean, that right there. 100%. Is fantastic well i know we are at time but i want to like give you a chance to say one last thing of your choosing so what are you most excited about or looking forward to if you look forward to 2024 given all of the amazing projects you're working on and i quite frankly am really excited to see um all of those come into fruition myself yeah so we look at, at things in three-year blocks here on on my team and um so ironically the question you just asked i asked my own department last thursday in our all hands what does 2024 through 2027 look like? Um, ironically, it's how do we build on the platforms that we have for more automation? How do I automate onboarding faster to so bring nurses on faster? Not only locally, globally. How do we get tighter with our M&A strategy so we can turn those, uh, those acquisitions faster? How do we make the ticket submission process on a platform like ServiceNow even more automated where someone can just type in, how do I map a printer? And it walks them through it. Where do I find my pay stub? It sends them the link via text. Those are the capabilities we're about to go and, and embrace on. And so 2024 specifically will be a year of automation for multi-care, um, which we desperately need, particularly in the time, in the, given the times that we're in around financial pressure. More than anything else, I'm, I'm excited just to continue to double down on the relationships we've built. Uh, we've intentionally, um, pulled a seat up to the table and we're, we're excited to uh, start to harvest some of that fruit and, um, and partner with our colleagues. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all that with me. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, staying in touch and seeing how it rolls out. Thanks for having me, Mina. Appreciate it.